like wealthy in wisdom, wealthy in salvation, wealthy in, in the knowledge and, and the experience of you, Lord. I pray that you be with the folks who are here, open their hearts and minds, help them to hear from you and to know you more and to, to be in your presence um, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> for a missions class, um, I, I, was, I was reading an essay on, um, on some of the challenges that are faced by missionaries going into different cultures and, and, and trying to improve um, the standard of living and all that. And, and one of the things this, this particular author talked about was an experience that farmers had in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, where they, they went into these communities that were very poor and people like, like lived at very, you know, just above starvation levels, and, and they, they were teaching locals to farm. Um, and, and the people there learned very quickly. They, they were quick studies. They, they um, took in the information, and, and they discovered um, that, that no matter how well they taught um, in this particular setting, their, their efforts turned into a failure. Like they, year after year, like farms wouldn't produce anything, and they would try and try and try, and they'd provide seed, and they helped teach them how to till, and I mean, the whole nine yards, and just over and over again, it was unsuccessful. And when they started really investigating what was happening, they discovered that the people who had enrolled in these farming programs, like most of them were hungry most of the time, and they would be given this, this seed, and then told to bury the seed in the yard. Now, if I had a large pile of food in front of me and I was hungry today, does it matter how much I'm going to get in, what, how, how many months is it? About six? I don't farm. I, <laughs> I barely garden. Three. <laughs> if you bury the stuff in the yard in three months, you'll get a hundredfold. But people, like the, these folks, they couldn't see burying all of this food in the yard. And so they just wouldn't do it. They would eat what they were given. Like they would eat their seeds instead of planting them. And so, like, year after year, they hit this, this roadblock where, where these folks, they could not bring themselves to burying the, you know, the one, like, obvious on-hand source of food that they had. And, I mean, I, we live in a country where, where people might go hungry sometimes, but, but, like, we rarely starve to death, right? I mean, it, it's a fairly rare thing apart from, like, medical, like, like unique things that, that, I mean, people just don't starve to death. In fact, we have obesity problems. I mean, like, this is not that place. Um, but I, I sometimes wonder at farmers um, that, I think, is it Callan, I think, says that farmers are eternal optimists. I mean, you, you, go, out and you go out and you, you bury, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff with the intent of getting more thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff out of the ground, depending on the weather, the soil, the market, the equipment, the bugs. <laughs> I mean, it all kind of... I, like, it's amazing. Well, the weeds, the, I mean, there's so many factors that, that farming, I mean, you've got to have a great deal of faith to farm. I mean, it, it is a crazy business as far as faith goes. I mean, that is huge. Um, what we're looking at today, um, we're going to look at kind of, kind of how Paul applies this idea to the resurrection. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're working our way through, and Paul talks about something called the first fruits. The first fruits is, um, let me jump ahead here, the first fruits is this, this deal in the Old Testament where you would take the very first of anything you harvested, right, and you would give it to God. So, you know, the first grain that came out of the field went to God. The first animal that came out of your, ho- your flock or your herd went to God. The first fruit that came off your tree, whatever it was, it always went to God, the very first portion of it. Um, and 
like I've watched people in the last few years, and I, I've gained a great deal of perspective on this, and you all probably have a much better perspective on this. Um, when, you, when you have a calf born, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a lot of them in the long run, right? I mean, like, you can have bad years. You know, when, you, when your grain starts sprouting, there's no guarantee it's going to keep raining. When, you know, whatever happens, I mean, like, there's no guarantee at the end of the day, but giving God the very first is a huge deal. Um, I, one of the things I think about with this is, like, you walk into um, these mom-and-pop restaurants, and I love mom-and-pop restaurants. Um, and the first thing I look for in a mom-and-pop restaurant is a frame. What's in the frame? The first dollar they ever made, and they put it up on the wall, right? Because this is the very first dollar we made. But, like, like and I'm not mocking or knocking on people who own mom-and-pop restaurants, but the, what Paul is talking about here in the Old Testament standard is that first dollar, it didn't belong to you, right? The first dollar goes to God. And... And that's a scary idea, isn't it? I'm like, it is a scary idea. Like, I, I have never been good at giving. My wife is the blessed one in this regard. Like, and I've learned a lot from her over the years. My wife is good at giving first. And that is amazing to me because I'm a bad person. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to get into this first fruits thing here. Um, just real quick, the series so far, we, we've been talking about resurrection, about what God did for us in Christ's death and like, and like the burial and the resurrection, our forgiveness. Um, like we talked about all of that stuff. We um, went through Good Friday and Easter, and then we're working our way through 1 Corinthians 15. The first section of this sermon looked at, um, well, the first two sections of the sermon, first one looked at the evidence that we have that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? That Jesus was was actually put in the grave, and all of the people who saw him come back. And, and that was, um, I believe that was Easter Sunday. We talked about all the different people, like five, six hundred, well, probably closer to seven or eight hundred people that saw Jesus alive. And like how that was evidence that Jesus was raised. And it's important because this church in Corinth, one of the things they're doing is, um, like they're, they're preaching that nobody will be resurrected in eternity. There is no resurrection. It will not happen. Nobody's coming back. And so, like, like, this is a big deal. This letter is addressing, hey, guys, stop preaching that the dead aren't raised because that's not what we believe, right? Everyone will be resurrected. You know, some to judgment, some to eternity with God, like, like in, you know, with God in his kingdom. But, like, everyone will be resurrected. And so um, he, he's working his way through. First one was, here's the evidence that Jesus was raised. The second one was, listen, over and over again, Paul says, if... Christ is raised, then the dead are raised. If Christ wasn't raised, then the dead aren't raised. That's all there is to it. Like, Jesus is proof of the resurrection. You all with me? Like, he is evidence that it's coming. Um, I'm guessing, I never read a follow-up to that farming article for for missionaries in Africa, Like, but I'm guessing that the trick to getting folks to plant would be to go out there and plant... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like like plant with them and feed them for the duration, and then all of a sudden, all of these plants come out of the ground and they get this right here, this this fruit that comes of that labor. But like until you experience it, I imagine it's almost impossible. In fact, my wife and I started gardening how many years ago now? It seems like forever. Um, and every year we plant, and I I've, I've washed my hands of the process. I don't plant with them. Like I don't garden. I I, it's bad enough as it is. Um, my help only would make it worse. 
Um, but we put things in the ground every year and nothing comes up. Or the one year we got Brussels sprouts to come up, which was awesome, until the rabbits ate them. <laughs> and so our first fruits never even got off the plant because <laughs> the rabbits ate them. Um, and we're going to eat the rabbits this year. Um, my daughter didn't hear that, did she? <laughs> um, but but this, this first fruit of the resurrection, like this, this planting and coming back, like there's a great deal of faith that goes with this. And this is part of what Paul is addressing here. Listen, guys. Um, he's saying, listen, guys, I know that the culture around you says there's no resurrection. I know the culture around you says this isn't the way the world works. Don't believe it, because this is what we know is true. Doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. Doesn't matter what's obvious in front of you. Here's the evidence for what we're claiming. And because we have evidence, like there's truth in this. Don't abandon the truth based on what's popular opinion. You all with me? Um, I... I, well, I don't get into that. Um, so as we dive into 17, we're going to go 17 and 19 um, just to kind of review because this is all one continuous article and like to break it up does a little bit of injustice, but it's so much material it's almost impossible to do in one setting unless we spent a lot more time than, than you know, than is probably ideal. Um, so 15, uh, 17 and 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Meaning if if Jesus did not come back after the crucifixion, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, our faith is pointless. We are wasting our time. Even if, like, because like, the whole claim of Christianity isn't you'll go up and sit on a cloud with wings and everything else, like you'll become a spirit and join with the universe. None of that is what Christianity teaches. The faith that we hold is dead will be raised. Everyone who is dead will be raised, and Christ is the first one. Christ was the very first one to be raised, and he is proof of everything else. It's the linchpin. In fact, if you ever want to disprove Christianity, the way to do it would be to start with the resurrection. Like, that's the, the big one. Y'all with me? Um, the most important thing. Um, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, meaning the seeds we planted in the yard, they ain't growing, Right? Like, doesn't matter. I mean, like, they're, they're not coming back. There is no life after that death. Um, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Meaning, um, like Paul is talking, because Paul is putting all of his eggs in this basket, right? If, if you're going to bet on something and you bet the whole thing on this one answer, like, if you're wrong, you lose. And Paul is betting everything. Um, 2 Corinthians, if you jump to the end of that book, there's a chapter where Paul talks about being shipwrecked and spending two days on the open sea and being whipped and being jailed and being tortured and being, you know, like beaten with rods and on and on and on, being hungry and naked and all this other stuff, like all of this difficulty that he experienced preaching the gospel. And he says, listen, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're, we of all people are to be most pitied because we're betting everything on this. We planted all our seeds in that field, and they're coming up or they ain't. You all with me? Um, and in fact, actually, that's one of the analogies that Christ uses to, to talk about new life. He says, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, um, there can be no harvest. There can be new, no new life. And Christ is that seed that falls to the ground. And we're all called to put our lives out there and to give them up that we can gain something better in Christ. Um, so jumping into 20. But... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, there's that phrase, the first fruits, meaning the first one. Um, it is 
Like in the Old Testament, you would say, this is the first piece we have, and we've given it to God, and having given it to God, this is the beginning of something huge, right? Like we've given away our first dollar, and like, like that first dollar having been given away, like there's more coming. Like this is an act of faith that I don't need to eat this because God's going to take care of me. Um, we're going to disclaimer here really quick. I am not saying that if you give to the church, God will make you rich. Got it? Anybody who says that is lying. That's not in the Bible. There is no Bible to support that. That is nonsense. Like, it, it's a common heresy right now. It is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, in, in the Old Testament, the attitude was you gave God the first piece as a show of thank you, and as a show of, like, hey, we belong to you. I mean, and God had first claim on everything. Um, but, so Paul is using this analogy. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning... Christ is dead, or Christ was dead, Christ is raised, Christ is ascended, Jesus is alive today at the right hand of God the Father. He is there, he is in eternity, like in heaven, like now ruling over all things, and like that is the beginning. And because one was raised, everyone else will be, right? It's um, <laughs> on the windowsill in our kitchen, we have a collection of plants. Um, some of which die regularly, um, some of which I bought replacements for recently. But Abby brought a, a, what was it? It was a milk carton, right? Like the bottom of a milk carton full of dirt and a seed. I don't even know what she planted. A what? It was grass, which is actually the only grass at our house. Um, and, and so we brought this grass seed, and that grass seed did what? It grew, Right? We put it on the, on the windowsill, the light hits it, we pour water on it. It is the only thing we have managed to grow that, no, I'm sorry, my wife plants well. It is, it is one of the few things that we've managed to grow. And in theory, that concept works. We have proven to Abigail, look, you plant a seed, you get a plant, right? Um, Christ is this first fruit. He is buried in the ground, risen again, and all people will be risen again because of it. Like, proof positive, this thing has happened, therefore, as this is Paul's analogy. Um, it's also, by the way, first fruits is also used in the Old Testament to refer to a kind of uh, offering that you would make where you would take grain, like a bundle of barley, and it would be the first barley you pulled out of the ground and you would wave it as a part of worship in the, in the temple, like at a certain time of year and during certain ceremonies. Um, and it's the same concept. God, we owe you everything you feed us, you take care of us, you're the, you know, where bread comes from, all of that. And so, like, like all of the dead will rise, Christ was risen. Um, the, first, the first bud of a great harvest. Um, for as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul's about to break into some typology, right? And I love typology. This is like my favorite kind of Bible. Um, typology is from a Greek word, tupos. How many of y'all have heard me say this at least a dozen times? Um, tupos is a Greek word referring to an imprint in clay, like a stamp. Anybody ever have a Play-Doh set when they were a kid? Kind of the same concept. Uh, how many of y'all have a Play-Doh set now? Um, you would take your image and you would stamp it in the Play-Doh and you would get a reverse image of that. It's a tupos or an imprint. Um, Paul uses it to refer to things in the Old Testament that happened that point forward to Jesus because they tell the story of Jesus before he was born. This is an example, and it's Adam. We see Adam also like worked over in the book of Romans. I think it's Romans 5. Um, 
where it talks over and over again about Adam being through one man. Through Adam, death came into the world. Adam sinned and death was introduced. We live in a world that is not working the way it was meant to work. You all with me? Like, this world was designed to be perfect. We were designed to live forever. We were designed to love each other. We were designed to talk to God every day and walk with Him and spend time with Him. We were, desi- we were designed for so much more than what we experience. Um, because of Adam and the fall, the creation is in decline. It's slowly breaking down. I have a car in my driveway, and if there was a recycle place, I would deliver my car to that garbage dump because there are two or three things that are wrong with it that I can never fix without spending more money than the car is worth. Um, and every time I drive it, it just gets a little worse. Get what I'm saying? Like, I tried to have the radiator flushed, and it's so gunked up that it can never be flushed out. They said, if we flush out your radiator, the car will fall apart. Um, the rain and rust in there is holding the car together. <laughs> and once that rain and rust is gone, it, so is the car. And so, like, if I start fixing these things, like, like, like it, it would be a disaster. Um, but very slowly, every time I drive it, the cooling system gets worse. And when the cooling system gets worse, the transmission, which is cooled by the cooling system, gets worse. And every time I drive, I mean, it's just slowly declining. And there's going to be a day when that'll be it, right? And it is a sad story. It's worth weeping over. I, I, I would be too. Um, but it's my job to talk. Um, and so, like, like, this breakdown came about because of Adam. Like, Adam was a given a choice. Like, you can obey God, you can be in relationship with God, or you can go your own way. And Adam went his own way. And death came into the world. Um, by a man come also, excuse me, um, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Meaning, because Jesus was obedient, Jesus was crucified, when he was raised up, it was the beginning. Right? Through Adam all die, through through Christ, like men live. Um, For as in Adam all die, so also shall all be made alive. Paul is not talking about universal salvation here. There's some folks who use this passage to to, um, argue universal salvation. It's really not in Paul's writings. Um, What he's talking about here is this idea that like, like all men die in Christ and those who follow Christ are made alive. But all is cyclical. It sounds better in the way that he's writing. It's a Greek form. Um, but each in his own order. So Paul touches on this. Listen, plants grow, right? First fruit. Um, Adam, all men die in Christ, all men live. And then he starts. Um, This is really important as we break into this because this is a very easy to misconstrue passage. Paul is specifically talking about resurrection. This whole chapter is about resurrection, right? And this is one of those passages that's really fun to take a little bit and turn it into this. And, hey, this would be useful over here. Um, But if you start doing that too much, you get away from Paul's point. Got it? We're going to focus on Paul's point. Um, But each in his own order. Christ, the first roots, meaning Christ is the first one resurrected. As we wait, we don't see people resurrected often, right? Um, And it's easy to lose hope in that. I mean, it is. Um, But we know because Christ was raised that all men will be. Um, It's easy to lose faith and to say, well, it's not going to happen. But it worked when Christ did it, and because of that, all men will be. Um, Then at his own coming, those who belong to Christ, meaning Christ will come back, and all men will be raised 
Um, like, all men who belong to Christ will be raised. So, like, there will be a day when Christ comes back. It is going to happen. He's going to come back the way he left on the clouds. Like, the whole world's going to know it. He's going to come back on a great horse with legions of angels. The whole world's going to be set right. Like, there's this big coming back coming. Um, and those who belong to Christ will be resurrected and will be with him to new life. Like, that is coming. That day is ahead of us. Um, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Now watch this, because um, this, is, again, is easy to lose track of real quick here. Um, when Paul talks about kingdom, kingdom of God refers to anywhere where God has authority, right? I am, to use an example, I walk into my house and I am king to some degree, Right? I said to some degree, I, I, I have a great deal of influence in certain you know, aspects of my home, and that is my kingdom, right? I have, I have authority, like, like this is my kingdom. I walk into Mark Potter's house, and I have no authority there, right? <laughs> in fact, there's a good chance I could be shot for trying to take authority in their house, right? Same thing, I go to the Durgas. If I go into the Durgas house and say, I'm in charge here, they would laugh at me and kick me out, right? Um, and it duplicates just about anywhere I might go. Like, there are only, like, this is, my kingdom is very small. It is very limited. My authority, my influence, my everything, like, it is, it is influenced, um, or it is limited. Um, God's kingdom refers to places where God has authority. And so when Christ talks about God's like, kingdom coming, he's talking about like, a reintroduction of God's authority through the new covenant, right? Like in this kingdom expands as men give their lives to him and pursue him. And God like, takes up residence in our heart and like, has authority in our lives. Like he has authority, mind you, Right? Like, like, God has authority one way or the other. God takes his hand away from the creation, it flies apart. God decides that you're, you know, going to obey, you're going to obey, right? But God gives us option. God gives us the option to love him, the option to reject him, the option to rebel, the option to pursue. Like, we have these options in us. Um, God's kingdom here refers to a place where God is in absolute authority. And in this case, because it's the end, he's saying when the, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. So Christ will come back and there will be this day when um, every rule and authority and power is referenced to like sort of the evil in the world, like demonic power and like... Like in the Old Testament, this would refer to opposing kings, Right? So, like, the Philistines would be one of them, and, you know, the Assyrians would be one of them, like, the bad guys. This is a reference to, like, like the evil that's in this world. They are a defeated enemy at this point. At the cross, every authority, every power, like, all of it was broken. Um, it, there's a line in uh, uh, Revelation, I believe, about Satan's head being crushed at the cross. Like, like, like Satan is a defeated enemy. The devil is no longer in charge in this world. Um, and there, that is a reality, a spiritual reality, and it doesn't become a temporal reality until Jesus comes back. It's like saying, I'm a new creation in Christ. That is a spiritual reality, but until Jesus comes back, I won't be made into a new creation. Following me? Like, it, I, I stand on two fences, or in two places. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> and so, 
in eternity, when Christ comes back, he'll destroy all of this evil in the world. Um, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This is actually, he's bringing in Psalm 100 and um, I think it's Psalm 8 here where he's using these imagery like bits from these psalms which were a reference to David or the Davidic king at the time and saying, listen, all of his enemies will be under his feet and he'll reign and he'll you know, have all this authority. Like This is a reference to all of that. And like he's saying, listen, when Christ comes back, he will, everything will be under him. He will be in a position of absolute authority. Um, and this is the order of things. Christ will return, the dead will be raised, the evil in the world will be made subject, um, and the last enemy to, do, to be destroyed is death, meaning to be nullified, right? Like, so the, the last enemy that ends is death. There'll be no more planting after that because things will just grow, right? Um, there'll be no more dying after that because everyone will be back. Like, this will be the, the new order of things, like this, this recreation, and death will be gone forever, um, which is a heck of a thing to hope for, isn't it? Um, there's a lot of tendency, and I'm not doing that this morning, to talk about, well, what does this mean about... This is about the resurrection, like, is, is my take on it. This is about Christ coming back and the dead being raised and um, how that is going to work out, like, what that's going to look like. And this is a promise. Um, because it's one thing to say... Now, watch this. This morning, I was talking with the kids, and I said, kids, do you want to go out and do something as a family today? And the kids said... Yes, right? And we started talking about things we could do. And we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, we could go eat there, we could go do, you know, we had this list of options. Until all that stuff actually happens, we haven't gone anywhere. It's just a lot of excitement, right? And there's a difference between saying, let's go out and let's go buy Abby new shoes. Because she's a little girl and she loves shoes, right, honey? Um, and, and she wants new shoes. And we want to go out and we want to eat at a nice restaurant or probably Wendy's, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and we want to, like, like, we want to do these things. And there's a great deal of excitement. Up until this point, Paul has just punched this line over and over again. The dead will be raised. Hey, Christ was raised first. Everyone else um, will be raised as a result. Here's our proof of this. And now he's getting to the details of what happens when we go out later today, right? And it'll be all of these great things that'll happen. Every wicked thing that causes, you know, causes us misery will be gone, right? Um, the things that tempt us will be gone. The parts of us that hunger after wickedness that we wrestle with, y'all know the ones, are the parts that beat us up in our own head because, like, parts of us don't want us to be happy. I don't even know why that is. <laughs> like, like, but some of y'all have those inclinations, right? Um, like, all of that will be gone. The world will be set right. This is Paul completing with the promise, right? Good things are coming. Here's what they're going to look like. Christ will be raised, and when he's raised, um, the evil in the world will be broken. Um, the enemies of God will be put under his feet. Death will be gone. Um, as far as big matters go, I, I can think of very few things I would rather have, Right? You know, there'll be no more hunger. Um, people who abuse the poor will be gone. Um, you know, the, the willingness to, to take the fruit of other people's work at sub-level prices, like, like all of the evil that happens in the world where we mistreat each other and we, we screw each other over and we, pardon, sorry, that was not the right phrase, where we, we treat each other wrong, um, like all of that stuff will be over. Um, and death, that, that horrible thing will be over. Like, and for eternity, we'll enjoy God. That's a, 
That's a promise worth looking forward to, right? I mean, like, that is something worth hoping in. That is something worth getting up in the morning and saying, you know what? I may have a bad day ahead of me, but it'll be all right. I, I'm getting old. I know it's hard to believe. Um, despite my best efforts and my, my, my efforts to be as immature as possible until it gets there, I'm getting old. I have aches and pains that I didn't used to have. Every year when I do my first run of the spring, I went yesterday and I noticed I'm slower. And, I, and I, my heart rate doesn't go as you know, up and down as easily and as nicely as I'd like. And, and I don't recover as well. Man, I'm sore today. And I didn't used to get sore like that. When I was in my 20s, I could just do this, right? And that's not the case anymore, and I'm declining. But in Paul's promise here, Paul's like restatement of the promise, there's a day coming where all that stuff will be gone, where Christ will reign. I won't have to pray and, and hope God is hearing me. And I know he hears me, but man, there are some days I worry. You know what I mean? Is it just me? <laughs> but I'll stand in his presence and he'll hear me. My slide won't advance, honey. Um, 27 and 28. Uh, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Um, This is a weird little sidebar, but it's a sidebar that's addressing kind of a crazy heresy that popped up at the time. And it's actually not something that, it's something we see in different groups now. Like, you, you see a, 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 this is Gnosticism, you see a little bit of it in Mormon theology, you see a little bit of it in Jehovah's Witness theology, you see a little bit of it. I mean, it's not something that disappeared with the Gnostics, right? Um, what he's talking about here is this idea that Christ is um, either going to, like, put God into submission under him, or that Christ himself is, like, this, this temporary being, or has not always been, and, like, ends up in this subjective position. Like, Christ is God. But we have the Trinity. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal, but they choose to submit to each other, right? Like the Son chooses to be in submission to the Father because God the Father is superior? No. But because the Son chooses to obey the Father. Like the, the Son assumes a position of submission. And so like when it says, God put all things into subjection under Christ... Right? Like Paul adds this little addendum, and it's in an effort to clarify so we don't get confused here. All things are under Christ, and then Christ in turn is under the Father, because he chooses to be. Um, because Christ is um, obedient. That's actually what the cross is about. When we see, like you read in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Christ says, you know, uh, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Right? That's because Christ is choosing to be submissive to the Father, not because he is forced into submission or because he lacks strength. And Paul is doing a little side addendum here. Because most of this conversation comes out of a heresy that was common at the time, and actually next week we're going to dig into that a little more, because Paul is really sort of like broadsiding this set of false teachings. And the first false teaching he's attacking is sort of a combination of Greek thought or Greek religion and you know Christianity, and, and he's saying, listen, you're coming back. Here are the promises. Here's the proof. This is what's going to happen. Here's my evidence. This is it. Don't buy into nonsense. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what he's promised. We will all come back. 
Christ will return. All things will be put in subjection under him. The world will be set right. What do we do with all this? Because there's a lot of, like, promises, right? Um, what do we do now? Well, first off, we have hope in tomorrow, right? As bad as today might be, God's offered us something better in eternity. It also gives us something to line our, line our combine up to, all right? That's when you drive a combine, you don't pick a rock out in front of you. You pick a rock way on the end of the field and you aim at that, right? You don't follow the line of what you cut before. You follow the fence post that you're aiming your... your <laughs> I'm saying this right, right? <laughs> you push the button. <laughs> That's a different theology. We're not getting into that today. <laughs> Sometimes you let the Holy Spirit run the show. But, <laughs> no, I, like you, you aim at this, right? Where are we going? We're going to eternity. Today is not all there is. The guy who dies of the most toys ain't taking him with him, right? Like the richest guy in the room ain't going to be any more rich or any more poor in eternity. Like that, that is a reality. Here and now, we get to enjoy the creation. The scriptures actually indicate that we should enjoy the creation. But we prepare for eternity. We aim at the point that God has given us and we live toward it. And that point is resurrection, like resurrection to live with Christ. And the objective would be to be as wealthy in that as you can possibly be. Um, the analogy I always use for this is coffee. Um, some of you all know I'm a... It's my last addiction, right? Like, like my very last addiction. I drink coffee like it's water. I, there was a point in time in my life where I could blind test brands of coffee and identify them. And I, could, I can still tell you if coffee is decaffeinated or not based on the taste. Um, I currently own, I think, nine different coffee makers. But they're all different types and they all taste differently, right? Like, so if I want hand-pressed coffee, I make hand-pressed coffee. If I want drip pot, I make drip. I mean, I've got, and it's because I love coffee. And I've spent a great deal of time learning to love coffee, right? Um, we used to live in this place in Elkhart. And there was a coffee place there, and once a year they would serve Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee. Anybody know what that is? It's a little black bean. <laughs> Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee is the holy grail of coffee, right? It costs about $200 a pound. Um, pound. It is fantastic. If you went there on their anniversary of their opening day, you could buy one cup, and it cost like $5. And you could drink one cup. If I were to take... You know, I don't know, uh, Terry actually is a good one to pick on for this. If I were to take Terry with me, Terry drinks coffee with a huge amount of cream, three times as much sugar, and whipped cream, and then flavoring. Um, he, you know, <laughs> if he and I were to go and drink this, like this Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee together, um, who would enjoy it more? <laughs> Me, Terry would probably enjoy it because it's delicious coffee, right? Um, it is really good. But the difference between us is I've developed a palate. I know what, you know what great coffee tastes like. I also know what burned sh uh, shop coffee tastes like. And I know what cold coffee from the gas station tastes like. And I know it because I've tried it all. Um, but I, I've developed a palate. I have an appreciation. Um, and that changes me. I change in order to appreciate coffee better. Um, in eternity, every one of us will be resurrected. Um, there are folks I have met who have spent their whole lives giving away and serving 
and have you know preached the gospel and have fasted and have done just amazing things and they know Jesus better than I could ever hope to, right? Those guys are going to walk in the door and they're going to enjoy their Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee, right? Um, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm probably going to enjoy it like to a different degree. The thief on the cross who died like a moment before, like after he was saved, you know, like this is a guy who's going to get there and he's going to enjoy it because it's still heaven. Um, but at the end of the day, what we're aiming for is this eternity, this day when Christ will be set over all things and how well we know him and how like our relationship is with him and how many, like all of this stuff will play into how we enjoy it. Like ultimately the objective for our lives is eternity with God and the goal, like the true value, the true wealth in heaven is accumulated in getting there and knowing him more when we arrive. Um, when Christ says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, like he's talking about like intimacy with God. He's talking about like like commitment and connection to God. Like this is all about like this deeper life we pursue. Um, I'm not saying you can be more saved or less saved. I'm saying our relationship with God is key to everything about who we are, right? And this promise is about an eternal relationship with God. Like through Christ's death for us, through his resurrection on our behalf, through our confessions of our sins, through our owning who we are like as broken people, and through knowing God more. Um, how do we deepen in that? Last week we talked a little bit about discipleship and pairing up with people and helping each other grow spiritually. That's huge. Um, the best growth I've ever experienced as a believer has been through my relationships with the people around me. Um, people who will call me out when I'm being dumb, right? And that happens a lot. Um, and it's not fun. But you know what? On the other side of it, I'm always grateful because I know Jesus a little better because I know like how to follow him better and I know where I'm being sinful and I know where I'm screwing up. That happens to other people. Um, when I read the word and I discuss it with other people, I grow. Um, when I meet with other believers and we laugh and we enjoy our relationship and we talk about Jesus, I grow. Like one of the central parts of the Christian life is community. It's walking together and being together and growing together and like being community. Um, and what else do we do with this? Well, we know good theology. Like that's huge. Um, it's one thing to understand um, like the core of the message, which is huge. But like, like this is a church that has been de deceived, right? Like there is no resurrection of the dead. I, I remember being a Christian for a long time and like when I learned that people will all be resurrected and I was surprised. Like, wait a minute. Heaven's not a spiritual place? No. <laughs> um, but it's easy to be deceived. And this is a church in the midst of deception. Um, and, and it's huge like that we learn and we know what is really going to happen. And it helps remind us that we have hope in Christ. It helps remind us that we're striving towards something better and we have to grow in the direction of being prepared for that. Um, that we shouldn't fall asleep, that we shouldn't get distracted, that we shouldn't trip or give up on our race to eternity, like that we need to like, be on it. Um, my challenge to you this week is to, is to look at your life and ask, am I growing? Like, are you? Do you have folks around you that call you out or that support you or that pray with you or that encourage you? Um, we're going to start a discipleship, like a core discipleship group in the coming weeks. I got a handful of folks who have already said they'll do it, but I'm looking for more. Um, if that's something that, that you feel challenged by, if the Spirit's telling you, like, I need more than this, talk to me. Um, we're looking at starting uh, new Bible studies in the coming year. That is one of the hardest things I've encountered here.
um, talk to me. If you're interested in like gathering with other believers and like reading and growing, talk to me. Uh, we're going to close in prayer and I'll let you all be. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that we have hope that, that there'll be a future uh, harvest. Lord, thank you that we have hope that, that um, the dead will rise, that things will be set right, that the broken things in this world will be mended, um, that the hatred and the anger and the depression and the anxiety and the frustration, like that we have a promise, that we have proof up front that all of that will wash away um, and that the only thing will stand in the end will be your son and his authority. Um, that, that Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that you love us enough to give us hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.